we'll do that. Uh, we want you to make it uh, aware uh, with the fall festival in mind especially uh, and even look around. There's not many seats. People are trying to find a place to sit. Uh, we're actually going to be adding a service next week. We announced that last week. And so now we're going to have two services, one at 9, one at 11. And we're going to need some of you to move to that service because we don't want all of the, ver- the the chances are most visitors will probably come to the 11. And so our prayer is that this event would go well. We'd build relationships. We'd invite them to church and they'll come and that we can even out our services to make room for new people. Because who wants to see people come to Christ? And we've got to make room for them in, in anticipation that God is going to do that through us. And so that creates a need. Uh, we're only going to have like all of kids' services. All of kids' services happening during the 9 o'clock service. And at the 11, we're only having the nursery. And so we need nursery workers. We need those who would be willing to, to love those little babies during the 11 o'clock service. So if that's you, if you'd like to do that, uh, please email Sarah, that's S-A-R-A-H, at mygospelcc.org. Uh, Let her know if you're willing to help out. You can also talk to Zach or myself and we can get you that information. But we're going to need more people to be willing to help out uh, with childcare. Uh, one more thing. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but we're having a couple come do a date night. This is the, the couple's they're called Out of the Dust. Just an incredible testimony. And so for you married folks, men, make plans, find a babysitter, bring your spouse here. I, I, I strongly encourage you to make this a priority. This is going to be a huge encouragement for you and your marriage. Uh, this couple, they were divorced, I believe, within one year of marriage. The man said, I'm done with God. I don't believe in God anymore. He went from leading worship at a church to saying, I'm done. But after he divorced his wife, God intervened in his life and they were, ended up being remarried. And so this is just, they're going to share their story through song. Uh, Reese and I, my daughter, we were able to be a part of it. At one point we're like, man, we got to get them here. Because what an awesome illustration of how the gospel transforms marriages. And so... Get, get signed up because this is limited to the amount of people who can be here. And we will open it up to the community. And so I believe the price changes. That's November 5th. Uh, I think the last week it actually goes from $30 to $40. So you want to get signed up for that now. We'd love for you to join us for that. Also, I want to say on November 7th um, at 5 p.m. we're having a kids ministry meeting. So if you teach currently, you help out in kids ministry, or you're interested, we'd love for you to be a part of that meeting November 7th, 5 p.m., that's a Sunday night, right back here in this room. Well, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. We are continuing our series in Acts that we've entitled, To the End of the Earth. Do you ever feel like life just keeps giving you gut punches? One after another. Like you get headed in the right direction and just as you start making progress, there's some kind of roadblock that gets in the way. When you decide to read your Bible early in the morning, you, you've got down what you're going to read. You've preset the coffee pot to be ready for when to get up, for when you get up. You've got your pen and paper at your favorite spot to sit, Ready to receive what the Lord might show you, but that night happens to be the night where the neighbors have a huge party. Or the noises are just nonstop outside and waking you up. Or your kids decide that that's the night, that all through the night they're going to come every hour and wake you up. By the time you get up in the morning, you're exhausted and you just say, forget it. Or how about financially? You're getting on the right track. Things are falling into place, but then... Your car dies and you have to buy a new car or something in your house breaks and you have to fix it. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a financial mess. You ever feel like life just can't, just can't get set up well for it? Well, certainly as you look at the book of Acts, you could get that same kind of feeling. You know, as we've read throughout you're seeing all this turmoil, all this conflict that's coming from outside the church, trying to stop the progression of the advancement of the gospel. Man, you, you would think you'd get weary from that. And not only was it happening from outside, but it was happening from within the church. And, and people were lying about how much money 
they were giving towards those in need. Just these gut punches one after another to the church. And you would think that it would be just time to give up. But here's the truth about God and his word. God's kingdom is unstoppable. Nothing will stop the advancement of God's kingdom. Amen? Nothing's going to get in the way. Even with all these gut punches that they are receiving, God's kingdom still moves forward. Today we're going to look into Stephen's life and it's actually going to come to an end for him. And you would think that that would be another big blow for the church. But in actuality, God used it to expand his church. God took these circumstances and pushed the gospel outside of Jerusalem. So there's so much good stuff in here. Let's jump right in. Follow along with me as I read Acts 7, starting in verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen that is, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of man. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning and we see the earthly life of Stephen come to an end, Lord, there's a deep sense of awe at how this man responded to what was going on in his life. Lord, so much for us to take away. And so I pray, Lord, would you open our eyes this morning? Would you open our ears that we may hear what you have? Would you open our hearts to transform us more into your image based on what we see here? Lord, thank you for the incredible witness of Stephen. And Lord, we have direct benefits that we have received because of the life of Stephen. And it is amazing in my eyes. And Lord, may it be amazing in all of our eyes this morning, Lord. So God, would you encourage us? Would you draw us near to yourself? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we looked over Stephen's response to the false accusations against him and that he was speaking against the temple and Moses. But Stephen flipped the script on the Sanhedrin. Remember, he was the defendant, but he became the prosecutor. He became the prosecutor. And the reality was that they were the ones, the Sanhedrins were the ones who had been in the wrong. And in fact, all throughout Jewish history, it was their ancestors who had rejected God and his appointed leaders over and over again. And it climaxed in their rejection and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we read these words from Stephen in verse 51 that he had spoke to them after that sermon that he gave. He said this, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. And so, of course, the Sanhedrin responded in repentance, right? <laughs> not quite. That's not the way it happened at all. 
Still, there is so much to learn in participating with God's unstoppable kingdom. We get to be a part of that. And there is no greater example in giving it all for Christ than Stephen. Very few, if any. And for the rest of our time, we're going to take the time to talk about five ways we can help advance the kingdom of God. Five ways that we can help advance the kingdom of God. Here's the first way. Don't let your circumstances take your gaze away from Christ. Don't let your circumstances take your gaze away from Christ. Look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Can you just feel the anger that's being expressed here? They ground their teeth. Have you ever been so angry that you find yourself grinding your teeth? As a kid, I remember uh, one time, I've only punched another kid outside of my own family. (laughs) One time. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And there was a principle I had in my life. Like you could make fun of me all day long. And I could probably get over that. You could call my brothers names and not, not such a big deal. Even my dad, call him names, that's fine. But nobody talked bad about my mama. Right? Amen, mamas out there? <laughs> nobody talked bad about my mama. And so this kid said a mama joke. By the way, if you ever tell me a mama joke, watch out. You better, you better step away. So this kid said something bad about my mom, and so I punched him in his back. And I, I can remember, my teeth were grinding. But you know what? Like my anger was stopped after that. I punched him, and I was done. But here you have these people who are so angry, they are grinding their teeth. You know, this grinding your teeth, it, it's, a, it's the same as gnashing of teeth. And it's an Old Testament term, and it's usually used as a sign of hostility and rage. And it's most often done by the wicked towards the righteous. And here, once again, we, say, we see this wicked response to someone who was righteous. You know, there are certain situations where we can understand rage, can't we? We can understand the gritting of teeth. Like nothing angers me more than the abuse of the elderly. Or women who are taken advantage of by men. Or children who are abused. That I can find myself getting angry over. That I can find myself ready to throw some punches. Like, those are the people of all, men especially, we should be caring for. I could understand that. I could understand a senseless murder and being angry at that. But is there any justification that you see here of this kind of wrath towards Stephen? And yet, imagine Stephen in this situation. Certainly he's got to know what's coming. Certainly, he has seen what has been taking place in the church. He saw what happened to his Savior. He's got to be aware that this isn't going to end well. And if you're Stephen, couldn't you understand if he was gritting his teeth? Like, what are these people doing? I'd do anything to deserve this. But listen to how he responds. He responds. Listen to his kingdom focus. He said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Isn't that an amazing response? He is facing this insurmountable circumstance that for most of us, if not all of us, would be absolutely overwhelming. And yet, where's his gaze at? It's on Christ. He's looking to Jesus. He's not allowing his circumstances to pull his gaze away from him. And I find this interesting too. What is Jesus doing? What's his posture before Stephen at this point? What does it say? What is he doing? He's standing at the right hand of God. Now when you think of Jesus at the right hand of God, what is he usually doing? He's usually sitting. So why is he standing? Well, let me help you understand it by this way. When somebody comes to your house, a new guest comes to visit you, do you sit at your seat 
and, hey, come on in. I hear you. Just come on in. Or do you stand up? Or if your spouse is there, they welcome them in. Usually the other one stands up to greet them as well. I think, I think Jesus is standing because he's about to welcome Stephen into eternity. Stephen had a kingdom mindset. He did not allow his circumstances to, to pull his focus, his gaze off of Jesus. He stayed focused on his first love. And this is the call for us as well, isn't it? And it is so challenging, financial struggles that come our way and we're tempted to ask, God, where are you? Sickness comes. God, are you paying attention? Relational strife. God, I thought you cared. But let Stephen be an example to you. He's facing imminent death. He's about to be martyred for something that he was innocent of. And yet, he's focusing on the Lord. Let that be a challenge to all of us. This is why it is so important for us to be in God's word, isn't it? He's given us this not so that we open it on Sundays. Not so that we can just follow along with the pastor when he tells us to open our Bibles on Sundays. But it's for Monday, tomorrow, when you wake up and it's a new day. And you're facing the strife of life. You're going to a job that you don't like. We need the promises of God. And if we are in the word of God, we're not going to understand his promises. And then the circumstances are going to overwhelm us. Because we live so often on our emotions. We need truth to ground our emotions in. I'm an emotional person, in case you didn't know. <laughs> I'm just the way I'm wired. But, like, I want my emotions to be based on the truth of God's word. And this is what protects me when the circumstances in my life gets hard. Because I go to the promises of God's word and what he said. And all his promises are what? They're yes and amen. Are you in the word of God? Are you allowing God's word to saturate your mind so that when the hard things of life come your way, you're not overwhelmed by your circumstance and over-focused on that, but your gaze turns to Jesus because he's the one who delivers us from that. Don't let your circumstances take your gaze off of Christ. Look at verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The next, day, the next way that we can help advance the kingdom is by this. By entrusting our souls. I think I missed the point here, guys. Or have, have I not been, maybe I haven't even been announcing this. <laughs> I'm not sure. Anyway, here's the point. Entrust your souls to God, all right? Entrust your souls to God. The fact that Stephen said he saw Christ took the anger of the people to a whole new level. Can you picture this? Can you picture this? They're closing their ears. And they're gritting their teeth and they're screaming and they're charging after them. It reminds me of preschool. You know, when kids, you're, you're calling them out for something they did wrong and they don't want to hear it. And so they close their ears and they scream. You might have a preschooler out there right now. Let's listen to see if your preschooler is out there screaming. They're acting like preschoolers, aren't they? They are so angry. They cover their ears and they're screaming and they rush at him. And they're not even giving him a proper, like, trial here. This is more like a mob than it is somebody declaring whether or not somebody is innocent or guilty. They've already declared he's guilty, and they rush him, and they drag him out into the streets. But that's what happens when people are confronted with sin and don't want to be confronted with it. And still, do you see any kind of flinch in Stephen's life? Do you see him flinching at all? There's no sign of panic. And who says, Lord, receive my spirit in the midst of being pulled out in stone? Who says that? Who has the time to think about, Lord, I'm in your hands. I'm in your hands. Who does that? 
It's someone who has entrusted their souls to God. That's who, that's who it is. Someone who has handed over their life and said, God, I am yours. Stephen didn't live for the pleasures of this world. He didn't live to receive all the earthly comforts it had to offer. His eyes were focused on Christ. And no matter what he faced, he wasn't going to shift to the left or to the right. 1 Peter 4.19 says it perfectly. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And these first two ways, they really go hand in hand, don't they? Like when we are not allowing our circumstances to dictate who we're going to keep our focus on, when we keep our gaze on Christ, then naturally we're going to entrust our souls to our creator. We're going to a faithful creator while we are doing good. So what exactly does it mean to entrust our souls to a faithful creator? It's to remember that we are not our own. We were bought with a price. That's why we take communion. Why do we take communion? To remember. I was not bought. I, I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. Therefore, I am called to glorify God with everything I have. And we've seen ultimate, all, multiple examples of this already in Acts. We talked about Joseph and all that he suffered. What did God use it for? He used it for good. He saved the Israelites from the famine. We saw in the life of Moses. Moses came and delivered the Egyptians out of slavery. God uses wicked things for good, so therefore we can entrust our souls to God. Christian, I want you to know that God is with you. No matter what you're going through, he's there. He has said in his word, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Do the tears just keep streaming from your face as you think of all the things that are wrong with your life? God is not absent from you. He is right there with you. That's why he's given, again, he's given us his word and he's given us his spirit. God cares for us even in our darkest hours. And God's kingdom advances no matter what. So entrust your souls to God. Here's a third way we can help advance the kingdom of God. Don't let your anger keep you from loving the lost. Don't let your anger keep you from loving the lost. This may be where most of us need to hang out for a while this week. Look at verse 60. And falling to his knees, Stephen cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Do you find that mind-blowing? Stephen is facing people who are so angry at him for something that he didn't even do wrong. Stephen is simply trying to help them understand that they are lost and they need Jesus and they've rejected him. They need to come to the Father. And then he's killed for it. Dragged out of the city and stoned. And he has the nerve while this is happening to say, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that sound familiar to you? Is that not like the words of Christ as he hung on the cross? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Stephen could have been angry and we would have been angry right there with them, wouldn't we? And if we were to hear a similar story today, how would we respond? I think about what's going on in the Middle East when the troops pulled out of Afghanistan. I heard of all these churches that were raided by the Taliban afterwards. And many of them slaughtered, just churches completely wiped out. And I wonder, how, how should we respond to that? Should we be angry? Do we blame those who pulled the troops out and let our Twitter accounts and Facebook posts world let them know that 
what an idiot for doing that? To be honest, I don't have all the answers. Certainly sorrow is a part of that. We don't just celebrate what happened. But we have to be careful with anger, don't we? Jesus has said to us, Anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. And so we must guard our hearts in this. Of course we don't want other Christians to die. But isn't there a sense of awe when we hear of believers who are facing imminent death and, and instead of running from it, they stand up and say, no, Jesus is my Lord and I will not turn my back on him. Isn't there a sense of awe and beauty in that? Don't be fooled to think that those Christians who were murdered, that those things will not have fruit from it. Absolutely they will. And I have read and I believe that Muslims who have participated in that have received dreams from God, who have seen their need for Jesus and repented because they've seen the bold faith of those who claim Christ even when their life is at stake. Don't let anger keep you from loving the lost. You may not know this, but this week was the 485th anniversary of the death of William Tyndale. You heard that name before? You should know this name. You should read biographies on him. For those unfamiliar with who he was, he was largely responsible for translating the Bible into the English language. But in his time, that was not looked upon with favor. The religious leaders did not want the common people to have the Bible in a language everyone could understand. It was only for the elite. So William actually had to flee England in order to spare his life. And while he was out, he befriended some people, but they ended up betraying him. And on October 6th, 1536, William Tyndale was strangled and burned at the stake. And much like Stephen, there wasn't a complaint. He didn't demand justice. Instead, his eyes were on Christ and his heart was for the lost. And these were his last words. Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And two years later, the king of England demanded that the Bible be available in the English language for all people. Think about this. Where would we be without the written word of God? We didn't get this because it was just easy to print Bibles. We have this because people were willing to spill their blood so that we could have the promises of God. So when you're opening up this book, let that weigh you. Let that be a weight on you. Not to discourage you. But just to understand, like, this is how serious we should take the word of God. People gave their lives so that we could be able to read it in a language that we understand. And let me ask you this. Do you have a heart for the lost? Is your heart broken? This is convicting for me. For them so deeply that when they are making life horrible for you, do you still want to see them come to Christ? Consider Stephen. I doubt many of you have people who are looking to stone you. <laughs> Yet Stephen did. But he did not allow his anger to keep him from loving the lost. And we cannot allow our anger to keep us from loving the lost. Can you imagine this conversation? Just think about the silly things that we get angry about. Imagine having a conversation with Stephen, and you're like, Stephen, you won't believe my day. It was driving. This guy cut me off out of nowhere. I had a complete green light, and he ran the, the reddest red light I've ever seen. Can you believe that? What an idiot. And then we went to a restaurant, and the service was terrible. How dare they treat me this way? I pay for this food. Or I had to wait at the doctor for 30 minutes. There's nobody around. Can you believe they made me wait? Don't they have anything better to do? Oh, by the way, I had to go and they had made me wear a mask. Can you believe that? Can you imagine, Stephen? Oh, Stephen, how was your day? Oh, it was great. I was preaching the gospel and they dragged me out of the city and they stoned me. That's how my day went. Man, I sure hope God uses this 
not to turn it against them, but to open their eyes. Do you see how silly we get with how angry we are at the world? As if the world should act like they love Jesus. Don't you understand? They're only acting the way they know how to. Apart from God's grace, we would not be where we are at. Only by God's grace. Do you care about those people who are perishing? Are you praying for those that you interact with regularly who are lost in their sin? May our hearts be like Stephen and not allow anger to keep us from loving them. Don't let your anger keep you from loving the lost. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. And Saul approved his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So we saw this last week. But here's the point. Here's another way we can help advance the kingdom. God can use any circumstance to advance his kingdom. God can use anything no matter what it is, in order to advance his kingdom. Last week, we talked about the lives of Joseph and Moses. We've talked a little bit already. But Jesus, or Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. But that was all in order for him to rise to power, in order to bring Jacob and the family, the Israelites, to Egypt to save them from the famine. Moses was given they were, the, the Israelites grew over 400 years to about a million people, but the Egyptians saw the threat that they could be. They enslaved them. Moses was sent to deliver them, and they delivered him out of Egypt. God can use any circumstances to advance his kingdom. And as we see here, he does it as well. Do you remember what God told the apostles they would be? Do you remember what the mission for them was? Turn real quick. Keep your finger here, but turn to Acts 1 with me real quick. Let's look at the theme verse again and, and just see the correlation between verse 1 here and what he said in Acts chapter 1 in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Where would they be God's witnesses? Started in Jerusalem. This is up until this point in Acts, they have been in Jerusalem. But notice that persecution arose after Stephen was stoned, and where were they scattered to? You see it? Judea and Samaria. What's happening here? They think they are squashing the advance of Jesus Christ. They, they are thinking that they are going to prevent the gospel from moving forward. But what they're actually participating in is the advancement of God's kingdom. And the gospel is now going to leave Jerusalem and it is going to Judea and Samaria where eventually it will spread like wildfire to the end of the earth. Doesn't God's power amaze you? Oh, sure, you're going to throw a wrench in my plan? You, you really can't do that, you know, right? Because everything you do is just going to be used to serve my plan. Oh, you're going to kill my son? Guess what? That was my plan, not yours. And guess what it's going to do? It's going to save the sins of every person who would ever repent and believe. Oh, you're going to kill Stephen and you're going to persecute my church. Guess what? The gospel is just going to move out of Jerusalem to the end of the earth. We should look at this and see that God is sovereign. And nothing can stop the advancement of his kingdom. Our God is sovereign and he is gracious. Let the words of Joseph in Genesis 50, 20 ring in your ears this morning. You intended to harm me, but God intended it to good. That there would be many people who would come to salvation. Now let this weigh on you. We are approximately 6,000 miles away from Jerusalem. 2,000 years ago. The gospel did not exist in America. And yet, what are we talking about this morning? 
God used that circumstance through Stephen's death in order that we might have received the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? See, it's hard for us because we've grown up with it. Many of us have heard it our whole lives, and it's just part of who we are. We were, I was raised in a, a Christian home, and so I've heard the gospel from the sense, since I was a child. And so sometimes this doesn't really set in, but we have the word of God. We have the gospel because of the faithfulness of his people throughout time. God can use any circumstance to advance his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, do not lose sight that God is always with his people. He is in control of everything that is going on. And even in the hard circumstances, God can use them to advance his work. Don't lose heart, believer. Even the hard things that you're going through, God will use it for our good. And finally, we can participate in to advance God's kingdom through this. Don't let your hope for a person be based on their past. Don't let your hope for a lost person be based on their past. Look at verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. So, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, up to this point, if you were to make a list of villains in Scripture, certainly Saul would have to be on that list somewhere. In verse 58, the, the witnesses laid their garments at Saul's feet. Why did they do that for? Like, hey, I need a little bit more room so I can throw these stones. Here, Saul. I trust you with my garment. And he's right there approving everything that is going on, verse 1 says. And he was ravaging the church. This word ravage, it's like an animal that is tearing apart another animal. And the guy's ruthless. It doesn't matter, oh, you're a man or a woman, I'm going to take you out of the house and I'm going to imprison you. I don't really care what you are. And Saul is right there approving every bit of it. How, how would you feel about a modern-day Saul? How do you feel about those who are speaking curses against the church today? Those who are mocking God and those who are pursuing after the Lord? I can tell you what I mostly see. Angry posts, mocking unbelievers, even to the point of vulgar language in the name of Jesus. What does that come from? I see a lot of complaining, demanding justice. Now, praise God we live in a free country. Praise God that we can speak up for freedom. And I believe as long as we have the right that we should, but not at the expense of our Christian witness. And here's what we could miss out on if we do not respond lovingly to people like Saul. It won't be long after this event that Saul, who would later be named Paul, so you may know if you're unfamiliar with scriptures but you've heard of the Apostle Paul, this is the Apostle Paul. He will be confronted by the Savior and radically saved. Do you believe God is in the business of saving lives of even the most outlandish sinful people today? Do you believe that he can save anyone? Do you? Do you live your lives as though that's true? Or do you hold bitters? Amen, whoever said yes. Amen. Or do you hold on to the bitterness and you just think about how evil they are and you want the whole world to know that you disagree and hate them? That's what I see mostly from the Christian world, if I'm honest. What would Stephen say if he was right here with us? What would Jesus say as he hung on the cross by those who killed him? Anybody been killed lately? No, because you're here. And you got Jesus and Stephen who were killed for their faith, and they were asking God not to hold their sins against them. Christians, we got to be better. Do we believe that we've been saved by grace? 
Do we believe that God's mercy has been poured out on us? If so, then all the more we should be willing to extend that same grace and mercy that we've received. Who's nailing it? I mean, who is just living this Christian life and getting it right 24-7? None of us are. Therefore, nobody is without hope. Listen to why Paul, who was Saul, responded the way he did when he persecuted Christians. 1 Timothy 1.13 says this. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Why did Paul act the way he did? He was ignorant. Why do unbelievers respond the way they do to the things of the Lord? They are ignorant. They don't need our angry posts at them. They don't need our hateful speech back to them. What they need is for God's people to get on their knees and pray that God would rescue them. I'm saying this to me as well. Please don't think that somehow I'm nailing this. They were ignorant, and people today are ignorant because they don't know Christ. We should not be surprised when unbelievers live like they don't believe in Jesus. We shouldn't be shocked when they mock the name of our Savior. It should lead us all the more to our knees. So when is the last time that you have seen or heard of someone speaking against the name of Jesus and it's led you to brokenness? Led you to pray for that person's soul? Consider the life of Paul. Later, he says this in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15 and 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that, G- that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. He's saying, I'm the worst sinner. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ may display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What an example. We should be praying for those who are the vilest of sinners in the public eye today in order that they might be an example to Jesus. They might be an example to a world that's perishing, that they would see people who are living a different life, but God has come and transformed them. Church, we got to pray. We, we are the vilest of sinners. I can say that about myself, me who's been rescued for 20, 30 years And yet I still turn my back on my Savior weekly. I still have moments where I fall short. So while we remember the gospel softens our hearts and we remember that we were sinners. But only by the grace of God have we been rescued. Therefore, let us plead all the more for those who can't see. Because we didn't open our eyes. Do you understand that? We did not open our eyes to the gospel. Jesus opened our eyes so that we may see. God's kingdom is unstoppable, and he has the power to save even the vilest of sinners. Here's how I want to close out the service. I want us to spend some time alone praying to our Father just at your seats. If you are burdened to the Lord for somebody who's lost, maybe it's a loved one. Maybe you've given up hope. We encourage you, Paul. Paul had no hope. He was killing Christians. God radically transformed him. Plead with the Lord. Perhaps you've been unmoved by the lost in your life, even to the point of anger. Maybe your prayer is that God would break your heart. That you would stop your angry posts and angry ways and angry heart that you would ask God to soften your heart because they're just only acting out of ignorance. Or maybe you are the lost one. Maybe you just need your eyes open to the gospel for the first time. I would encourage you to talk to Mark Jones or myself or somebody that you know who could point you to Jesus. Take some time now, just quietly. The band's going to play for a minute or two.
And then they're going to lead us in a song. But let's just seek the Lord now. Asking for God to rescue the vilest, to soften our hard hearts, and maybe to rescue us. Let's pray together. Let's pray quietly at your seats now. in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, is wounds and pay my ransom. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. As we leave this place today, and as we, as, we uh, as believers, as every time we hear the word of God, we don't want to leave unchanged, right? We don't want to leave and not have something to do. And um, so we're going to have a few action steps today. First, memorize 1 Peter 4, 19. Um, it says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God, uh, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to faithful creator while doing good. And then read 1 Peter 4, which is just the context of that. It's being good stewards of God's grace that he's given us um, um, do not being surprised when when um, difficulties come in our life and and uh, when we struggle because of our faith, and then third, fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, fix our eyes. 
just as Stephen did, um, even in his last hours, to fix our lives, our eyes on him. And then fourthly, be broken for the lost. And that goes into what we're going to be having after the service here in just a second. We're going um, to have a time where we're going to come together as those who are serving in this October 16th event, Fall Festival, um, just getting together um, for those who are serving in that. But just have a broken heart for the lost. And I can't force you to have a broken heart for the lost, right? Um, one thing that we can do to have a broken heart for the lost is to read Scripture, to be in God's Word, to pray each and every day, to ask God to give us His eyes, His heart for those around us. Uh, but I would challenge you too, um, uh, before we leave this place this morning, um, we're going to have a meeting here in just a, a few minutes. Um, I would challenge you, if you haven't even signed up yet for the fall festival, to really um, think about serving. It could just be being there and engaging with people, um, but to have a heart and to, uh, to have a heart, especially for those people right across the street, our neighbors um, that don't know Christ. All right. Have a great week. God bless you.